everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have the incredible Kelly Vaughn on the show. She's an engineering manager at Spot AI, uh, author, you're right to get a lot, a long list of poly work, uh, author, founder of Taproom, which is a Shopify consultancy, schoolmaster and educator with Master School, advisor to a number of companies, including yours truly. Kelly's worked with us for the last year and a half, helping us kind of navigate um, the tech world. And so, yeah, excited. Hope you enjoy. How are you? Like, the, <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't caught up with you in like a minute. I know, I know. 2022 in particular has been quite the quite the year for me, going like transitioning from entrepreneurship to, as I call it, getting a real job. So you did transition. You're running Taproom for a long time. Do you want to start there? You were an entrepreneur for years, and then you went to the real job side. Yeah. I went, I went the other way, so I want to, let's, 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 yeah, let's <laughs> Most talk people about do it. go the other way, yeah. I spent eight years full-time entrepreneurship before making the switch, and I, I think it really came down to my mental health more than anything. I was, I wanted to experience what it was like to get a steady paycheck for the first time in my life, um, to not have to worry about all the things that come with payroll and the, the people, admin, HR side of things on top of actually getting the work and right, doing right, the work right. and delivering work, everything. Um, and, and, uh, back in early 21, I had taken a month off from the tap room and ended up during that time co-founding another startup. And so I was, my, my focus had kind of shifted from the tap room to Cavallo during that time for like the remainder of the year. And unfortunately my shifting of focus also caused the tap room to start to go down. And right. as a result, I accumulated a fair bit of debt just trying to keep it running. And it got to a point where I, I couldn't financially sustain it anymore. So right. I had to make the difficult decision to lay everybody off at the begin or at the end of March, um, letting them know. And I guess it would have been end of March. Time is a blur at this point. Um, but at, at that same time, I decided, yeah, I figured I, I'll go ahead and actually make you'll make the jump fully out of entrepreneurship. And that's not to say I will never do it again, of course. Like I have a, I have a founder's brain. It's how I think, it's how I problem right, solve, right. it's how I approach everything that I do. And you know, I'll be talking to my husband, I'm like, oh yeah, I have this idea for this thing that I wanna build. He's like, can you wait like, I don't know, six months or something before doing that? Um, <laughs> and I'm still consulting on the side with the tap room, so it's not like a shut down entity by any means. It's just me now doing the work. Yeah, yeah. It's like a blessing and a curse. I feel like the, what do you call it? Founders, Brian, where it's like, I have yep. it too. It's like, I've been doing it now for eight years. And it's like, uh, even, even to this day, like you just naturally want to solve problems. You come up with new ideas. And one of the issues is, even with Polywork right now today, is like knowing how much do I love that idea? Like, oh, we do this all the time. We like, we work on a feature that we're like, could this be the next bet? But then you realize it takes like a lot longer than we initially thought. And it's just just knowing like when's the branch truly broken off and like should this be an experiment? Like I catch myself, my coach gave me a notepad and he was like, all these other crazy ideas you've got, you need to keep asking yourself, but is it like related to the core thing that you're doing? Because you're never yep. going to be able to turn that tap off. Like you have to like learn to like tree in it, put it over there and ask like, does it align to this? Yeah, it's good that you actually do write them down, though, because I'll just like say it out loud and then never think of it again, um, which I guess if that happens, that probably means it's not an idea I really want to act on, because otherwise I probably would have thought more deeply through it. I do have a couple notes of like basically like 
project work, like product requirement documents that I've kind of put together for ideas that I've had um, that are like still very bare bones, but things that I might act on at some point in the future if I feel like it. And is Taproom still live? So Taproom, uh, the original definition of the Taproom would be a Shopify Plus agency that specializes in custom development so solutions for high growth businesses on Shopify and Shopify Plus. So uh, really focus on, on Shopify themes, Shopify apps, custom app development, things like that. Now it is a consultancy that works with some merchants on Shopify Plus, but uh, just just a few of them because I am I now have a full time job and can only do so much. Um, right, right, right. But still doing some development work, mostly consulting though. Well, How's the transition back to back to full time? It's Spot AI, right? Yes, Spot AI. Yeah, it's been it ended up being easier than I thought it was going to be. And there, you know, there were definitely some bumps in the road. Uh, as somebody who has always owned the entire problem and has not had the opportunity to share it with somebody else, it's nice to have a shared burden. It's nice to be able to focus specifically on engineering management, engineering leadership in like, what does my team specifically need while I can be cross-functional and get the context from other areas so we can we can really push the product forward. But I don't need to be worrying about things like the product side of things because we have product managers for that particular reason, for example. And we have amazing product designers that I get that I get to work alongside as well. So definitely a different environment where my lane has narrowed significantly in the best way possible. I can relate. Like I love the early stage of startups, but it sounds like we've been doing it for a similar length of time, actually, like eight years. It's like I've realized that my first startup didn't work. And this one is uh it's going pretty well actually. But it's <laughs> But I think one of those thing, reasons is because I put myself in the lens that I know I'm good at earlier. Yeah. Um, whereas like, I feel like I was uh, probably micromanaged too much or just like actually just didn't know what I, I started my first time I was 25, just didn't know what I was doing. Whereas this time I am like, you know what, I'm good at story and brand and I'm good at product. But the other stuff, I should try to hire people like as soon as possible. So it's like about trying to carve out my own lean despite being CEO, like the stuff I do is probably like a little less CEO-y. Um, exactly. It's more like yeah. more, the, more of those two things. Honestly, I get my energy from that though. Like, I don't know about you if the mentorship in general is like being in speaking and education is being like, is like a theme for all the poly working type stuff that you do. Yeah. And so is that like superpower you're excited about is like the management part of the technical side of engineering? It's my favorite part. I haven't written production ready code in almost a year at this point. Um, and right. That's probably for the best time <laughs> <by> now. <laughs> Once you get out of it for a while, you're, you 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 trust your team to make the best decisions, and you can help you know make make decisions and help think through trade offs and help think through the you know the scaling issues that could potentially arise. But letting the engineers do the engineering and me focus on the what I'm really strong at, which is the people side of things, has right. been really really great. Yeah, it's almost like you can kind of take that the energy from four from like the ideation or the kind of the, the oversight of everything to like when you can apply it to that actually feels amazing. When I first realized like, oh, I don't have to do this other stuff. It's kind of like an unlock. It felt less like I was coming to work and more like yeah. I'm like, well, I get to like design features and test them and see if users like them. Like that's kind of always been my my jam. And so you learn to like break off the other parts of the boat that you're not going to like touch and go to and let the rest of the crew kind of work on it. So yeah, you're yeah, such a, a product thing. person. <laughs> I am? <laughs> yes. Oh, the way I talk, you mean? The way oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah it's definitely it's definitely the thing i'm most yeah it doesn't it's like the one part i would say that and storytelling whether it's to like investors or fundraising i love fundraising but yeah i product is my jam it doesn't feel like work and like that's kind of nice it's like oh i'm gonna see if a user wants us to solve the problem this way so um, I God, love hope. that you love fundraising because you're the first person I've ever heard who has said those three words in that order. Well, I would say I love storytelling. And I would say that yeah. investors are, I'd say particularly in like, I mean, because it's kind of all you've got in like the pre-product market fit type. I mean, it's slightly different now, but more of a network. But the first company coming from like Belfast was, <laughs> I don't know if that, I don't know if they knew what a venture capitalist was, but <laughs> it was like good to test it on that audience. And whether it's like, yeah, convincing the team to come to work every day or continue to come to work every day or like new candidates. It's like, I like weaving, but that's more my, I like worked at agencies before as well. Like more like, worked at like M&C Saatchi and a bunch of advertising agencies where it's like, it was more about like, how do we sell a Porsche? Or like, you know, or how do you get people to buy like milk? But yes. this, this time around, it's like, how do I get them to believe that I'm not full of shit and that maybe I'll turn their money into something new? Um, <laughs> So not yeah, full I, of I like shit or like only like partially full of shit because let's be honest we're founders and we're dreamers <laughs> yeah it's like a fine line i think of like the i mean there's been so much like noise with all the fundraising stuff that has happened recently and for, well, the eight between the downturn to the adam newman stuff this week it's kind of like stepping back and just like watching it all unfold but it's a fine line between selling the best version of the story and that line of like story and reality i mean like like even just learning that like most startups are kind of like incredibly reliant on ops and spreadsheets and no code and then you know i don't know how any pre-seed or seed company ever pitches ai ever i mean i don't you know it's like or, or maybe they've had the luxury of bootstrapping you know actual product for two years but more than likely there's none of that shit and it's most likely it's mostly just if then statements that they're calling ai let's be honest Exactly, exactly. Now that I've been at a company that does AI and I've watched the process that goes into training a model to detect certain things, yeah, it's a lot of work. And yeah, it I must take years. It must take, it must take years. It. <laughs> it must take years. So it's like, that's a perfect example of like the storytelling part. I feel is like, it's a story of what might be, not a story of what is. And I think exactly. it's about like, can, the, can investors get confident enough that, we might be the people to get you from like A to F where we're trying to go. Um, yeah. You said you took a month off and founded a company, which is hilarious. Finder, <laughs> finder brand for sure. Because um, I think I saw you raise a little bit of capital for it, right? We did, yeah. And that was that was like peak fundraising time. So we raised 1.8 million in. It was in 2021. <laughs> we're going to talk about so, that. I mean that 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 was that was the year to fundraise for That sure. was the year to fundraise exactly. Yeah, that was a definitely a good time for <laughs> for fundraising. 2022 not so much, but yeah, I mean the company is still running. I departed from the company back in March to make a clean break from entrepreneurship for a moment, um, yeah, yeah. an undisclosed, undetermined amount of time, we'll, we'll call it. But the company is still alive and thriving, and it's it's fun to see the, the continued growth from the sidelines. I love that. Are you still consulting with them or advising or anything like that? Not really. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much. So you, you are consulting a little bit on the e-commerce and Shopify side still with the full time. Like a big theme we talk about is on the podcast, it's just about interesting people like you that probably work going to do a billion different things. Like you've been advising, you speak a ton, you, we auth you authored a book, which we're going to get to. Like, just with all of that, you, have you find it easier to probably work on the side like that with all those things being at Spot, Spot AI? Um, or was it easier when you were doing, because you've been doing this all for a long time, or, or was it easier yeah. when, you, when you had the finder hat on? 
I think it was easier when I had the founder hat on because I was the founder of everything. I was the founder of this company, of the consulting that I do, of my book, of the other mentorship and whatnot that I do on the side, of the advising that I'm doing. And I'm able to like find a way to kind of like fit it all in. And thankfully I have like a very flexible work schedule now, but right. I, I have to think about it in terms of now being like, okay, how many hours per month do I realistically have to allocate towards consulting and towards the ongoing projects that I have and things like that uh, to make sure that I'm not overworking myself? Do you literally time manage it? Like, like going to approach it? Like as, I do. Like, I never thought about actually calendaring it like that to say, like, am I actually going to, across the buckets of poly work, if it's advising, consulting, mentoring, it's like you actually itemize it to like, I can afford yeah. X, X many hours. I have okay, to because I, I travel a lot and it's usually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going on working road trips or, you know, spending a week in a city or like this December, I'll be in Europe for the month of December because why the oh, hell not? Right. And I have to think through when I'm doing these kinds of trips and traveling and everything, if I am taking on the side work that I'm going to have to find time to do, but suddenly my weekends are no longer going to be available, I have to account for that time during the evening and suddenly you're down a lot you know you're you're down to fewer hours that you can work within and also you need to remember to also have a life outside of the additional work since now you basically have a part-time job on top of your full-time job so right. i really have to be careful about how many hours i spend a, like i even a lot per month and it varies from one month to the next but thankfully i i'm highly reliant on my calendar for that reason yeah i love that i'm curious like you, well you touched a couple of things i want to get i want to talk about europe because I'm also going there in December. Well, it's a little less. Oh. It's a little sexy. I'm going home to Ireland for a month. You know. Okay. I always I try to do it in December. But you mentioned something. We obviously, I mean, we're literally called polywork and put the word in the dictionary. Like we, but there's often people that I guess ask when I sort of say just whether it's a coffee or I meet a friend or a friend. And they ask like, what is it? They're like, why would someone want to fucking work more? Quite literally means like many types of work. But I'm curious like why you do it. For me, I do little parts, like there's some minor parts of like some founder mentorship and speak at events if I can or I'm asked to and, and different bits and pieces. But yeah, where do you fall on the debate of like, is it over, is it polywork or is it overwork? It's a good question. I think what's most important to remember when it comes to polywork, it's not necessarily uh, actual work that you're doing for, let's say, uh, you're putting in the time to get paid a certain amount of money. It's also what do you enjoy doing on the side? But what what really brings you that joy? So like writing a book, that was something that just, I just had a goal for. And suddenly that's part of my polyworking story because I am now also an author. I right, like right, advising right. companies. It is a very low time commitment, but it is also still counting towards my my polyworking story again because it is something that I'm doing that yes I do get paid for being an advisor like in equity but it also brings me joy so yeah. I find that it, you do have to kind of like know what it is that you're looking to get out of it I also have a very high car payment now so <laughs> keeping those kinds of things in mind including I don't live in a high cost of living area but I have a very high cost of living lifestyle right. and I need to make sure I can fund the things that I want to do. Right, right, right. It's like passion stuff. But and if the passion stuff happens to be able to like make extra income, I mean, that's our whole thing is quite literally like it's trying to re reposition it, but position it as it's a look, most people like 90% of people work nine to five. But if you can take the best parts of the things you're good at, passionate about, 
and you could a meet new people like it makes you less bored but also make money like why not like why like why like honestly like we riffed about this in one of our previous podcasts with the guests of like i love giving like on the storytelling part like pitch decks and early stage funding i love doing that and i don't have a ton of time but like on a thursday afternoon if i could spare 90 minutes and and possibly get i mean it's a startup salary so you know possibly get paid to you know, just give an hour feedback with like two startups. I love that shit. And it just makes me feel good. And you get new ideas from that. That's what we're trying to foster is more of that stuff versus like the, your app helps people get lots of like multiple jobs. Right. It's like, it's like a very, right. <laughs> so very how, how do you feel about putting together decks for talks for like public speaking? Fortunately or unfortunately, I haven't been invited to public speak in a while, but I used to do it a lot with my previous companies. It was more in the B2B space and I had to go talk at like HR conferences and stuff. But I guess I am good at it. I think it's more just that I don't, I like it more for fundraising because at the end of it, it could quite literally mean like a million dollars in seed funding or 10 million <laughs> yes. in series A. Whereas like I've done it a couple of times and presented on design or I spoke at the AIGA um, thing in San Antonio with kind of a young design school it's just a very different time to reward kind of payoff so I like to try and balance it between if I if I'm going to talk I'd rather be on the educational side like I'd rather do a deck where I could talk to some students that you know are trying to get into entrepreneurship and then I'm like okay cool I like it but if it's if it's just if it's a deck on the future of work (laughs) like I'll probably just send people to fortune or fast company to read about better future work content than I'll ever put together you know Fair enough. Fair enough. I that's the one thing that I cannot stand doing is making decks. Yeah, it's tough. When I became a designer ten years ago, I was like, it was because I, I left agency on the more because like a lot of that was like putting presentations together for for your clients and companies. But then as a designer, all you do as well is put together decks to pitch. I was it was a Google, so it was like it was like mostly decks to pitch your ideas to then get buy in on it. And so like the, mm-hmm. the, the time actually spent. Um, and sketch sketch at the time was it was different you know but i yeah decks are it's just i think because i think that's also the founder brain stuff too it's where like the the brain is moving so fast that it doesn't quite want to take the time to go back and like put it was like why i'm putting these slides i'm already thinking about like exactly where we're going to be in like 10 months you know um <laughs> yeah, yeah okay i got two two questions because i know i get 10 minutes left um tell me about your book so how did it start um it's in a space very related to polyworking so yeah tell us like what how you what was the motivation for it tell us about the book like how did you go from not having a book to having a book if someone wants to try and start doing that sort of you know poly work in that way yeah it's a it's it's kind of a an interesting story i suppose um i started freelancing when i was 14 years old i oh wow what were you taught myself how to code when i was 11. and so i my first freelance gig was it turns out it was it was an e-commerce store minus the actual shopping functionality i built an online catalog um and yeah i was 14 years old and i was paid a t-shirt i was (laughs) not a good deal um however it exists somewhere in this house and i'm not sure where it is i need to find it but it's like missing a sleeve and it's super dirty my dad had been using it as like a dust rag for years and he's like wait a minute i know what this is and so he said he sent it to me that needs to be free that was like uh that was like the the first the first payment for your for your entrepreneurial career i do need that's why i need to find it so i can frame it so i can like just you know put it back there and be like ah Yes, that that is my very dirty shirt that says Taylor's Hunting Supplies. But yeah, so I freelanced all through high school, undergrad, grad school, because college is expensive and I needed somehow to, you know, pay 
for life. And I continued to freelance while I had my first real job, which was a fellowship at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And after nine months there, I realized that I will forever make more money freelancing than under a government stipend. I'm Mm -hmm. like, this is stupid. So after my husband and I got married and I could get on his health insurance, I left and started freelancing full time in 2015. And then in 2017, I launched the tap room in October. So plenty of time freelancing through that. That gave me a lot of experience of what to do, what not to do, how to hire people, how to hire subcontractors, how to work with clients, how to communicate with them if they like drop the ball and they don't respond to you, how to close deals as well, and how to like present yourself in the best way to get everything that you need out of your your initial phone calls with them to put together the scope of work, how to handle contracts, things like that. So I'm like... The pandemic hits, and so we're talking. This is like March of 2020, and I'm like, I am already at home. What am I going to do with my life? Uh, and my husband decided to pick up the pandemic hobby of uh, making cocktails. Uh, and I was like, cool, nice. I get to be on the receiving end of this one. I think a lot of people decided to get into bartending <laughs> during the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> and I figured, uh, actually, I think it was uh, Emma Boston who had recently written a book. And she's mm-hmm. like, Kelly, you need to write a book. Like, this is a really cool experience. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to challenge myself to write this book in one month. See what happens. Right, right, and right. And so by setting, by time blocking it, and I'm like, this is specifically, I know the topic. Obviously, I've been doing it for so long. I know how to talk about this. So let's see what I can come up with in a month. And I was spending a lot of time during that, during that one month during the pandemic of just writing a book and drinking cocktails and writing poorly uh, (laughs) in that order. Uh, But eventually, towards the end of the month, I actually had uh, a book fully written, and uh, a friend of mine edited it, and I was collecting pre-sales on it before I launched it. And I was able to launch that, I think it was on it was July 1st of 2020 that I officially um, launched that book. How did you, did you build a website for it? Is there like a site that helps sell it? Was it a Shopify store? Like what? It was Shopify. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to some friends about it and they're like, look, if you don't use Shopify for this, you're going to get scolded. So I'm like, okay, fine. So I launched on, I launched it on Shopify just using uh, an app called SendOwl to deliver a digital good basically and took pre-orders from that and continue to take orders after I launched and uh, kept that running for a while. And then eventually I'm like, I'm not going to keep on paying 30 a month to run the store. So I shut that down and now it's sold on Amazon um, with the Kindle Unlimited side of it enabled as well. So if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can actually download it for free and read. Amazing. Well, I don't know where you get the time, but that is crazy. I was literally going to say, we need to get you write it because you wrote a guide on how to freelance and now we should commission it. I mean, you don't, I mean, I don't know how, how you get the time in the day, literally to polywork like this, but like we should, I feel like a lot of people would love to do that. But like having, now you also have the playbook on how to write a book and become how an to author write a book. and put it's it so on, meta. how to sell it and put it on Amazon. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it's something, it's one of the categories of polywork that, I think is definitely fledgling like it's definitely growing like the barrier to people like wait what like how do you do that like and particularly within a month i feel like that's is meta but it is the next book or commission with us maybe you know talk hey Um, i think we're on something yeah yeah like our whole thing is like anything we any resources or education we can also help to get people to try to help them poly work more whether they want to advise companies or start a book or write a book or anything is crazy but um 
that's amazing. Is there, will there be, is it something you will maintain? Will there be a V2 or it was like a one and a one and done or something you'll update with like additions you think? So what I was actually thinking about doing is I was originally going to launch like a V2 of it of extending into like agency and how to like transition from freelance to agency. But after everything that happened this year, I really want to write a book about startup failures. Oh my God. I really, and there's so many good stories about it that we do not talk about. And yeah. I, there's such good content there, but this time I don't want to self-publish it. I want to go through a publisher for it. So I'm taking I my time that. to figure out what that's going to look like before I proceed with that. I love that. I know we are nearly out of time and thank you so much for you. Cause I know you were insanely busy because it's a common theme. Like everyone that comes on here, like, and I'm like, could you come on the podcast and talk about how the fact that you poly work so much? And then like, let me check the hundred hours, the hundred <laughs> hour day. One of the things I love about polywork is someone, I, well, I created the failure badge on polywork. And I think there's generally been this like community being fostered around like slightly more authenticity because we didn't put the like button on the platform. And so <laughs> yep. I would love to talk. We are thinking of really doing a little spin off to talk with founders about just like the brutal shit that like people don't. I mean, in my first business field after six and a half years, and it was during the pandemic too, and it was absolutely horrific for my identity and everything. And so maybe we can talk about that and then you can talk about your book, your next book on yeah. the, the Finder Failures. Let's do it. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thanks so much. Hey everyone, um, thanks so much for tuning in. Great episode with Kelly. Um, some of the biggest takeaways, just getting to hear about Kelly's um, journey from eight years as an entrepreneur and founder to now working full time, what that transition looked like. Really amazing to have like a cool, cool, honest conversation about it through to everything from, you know, surprisingly Kelly finding it easier to poly work as a founder on her own schedule than now, um, although still doing it a lot with advising companies and and consulting and different bits and pieces right through to just super inspiring hearing how her pandemic side project ended up with a fully fledged launched book and adding author to the the list of uh, hats she wears yeah hope you enjoyed please check it out on the usual channels apple youtube spotify thanks <laughs>